Giannis, 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, how you doing on this fine Wednesday? Wednesdays at 11 a.m. is when we do our podcast live on Facebook and on YouTube. How are you doing? Yeah, lovely. At this time and place. Nice to have this time, this place. With me? Same bat time, same bat channel. I mean, the people... Do you not know that? I don't get that reference. Really? What is that? It's from the old Batman TV show where they say, same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs> I only know this because this is a thing my father told me. Is it Adam West? I think so. I think it was the Adam West Batman. Is it one of the just the cheesy things like they inserted? One of the like, many. He's yeah. going to say bat in the middle of every word. One of the, the many cheesy things. Yeah, like the pow. Exactly. And wow. Because you don't know that. You usually know all of like the dad-isms. Yeah. You're usually the go-to It's a little before my time on that. Have you ever seen the one where Adam West is running around with the bomb trying to find a place to put it? It's, I've seen, it's a great I, video. I'm trying to think of the clips of that show I've seen. I know it's the campiest thing you'll ever I see. I know there's the one where he's like hanging off the ladder and there's the <laughs> shark and he's like punching the shark. I've seen, seen that. that. There's one where he's like running around. He's dry, He's it's you know, when Dark Knight Rises, uh, Batman has to fly away with the bomb. Spoiler. Uh, Whoa. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is like the precursor to that where he's got a what is clearly like a styrofoam ball spray painted into a bomb and he's like looking for somewhere to put it and it's the campiest thing you'll ever see yeah it's very funny well same orioles time same orioles channel yeah holy podcast brendan good one thank you all right on this podcast today we're going to be discussing adley rutchman's rookie of the year case does he have a legitimate shot to beat julio rodriguez for the American League Rookie of the Year. But first, Brendan, a follow-up on our free agency bracket because some names on that bracket uh, were taken off the market via player or team options. Uh, Eric Hosmer being one of the big ones that we justifiably had losing in the first round because we knew that he had a... We didn't really talk too much about it. I went back and listened to it. We didn't mention, but he does have a player option that he picked up with the Boston Red Sox, and he is off the market. Yeah, that was almost a toss-up for me in terms of whether or not he would pick up that option. Yeah. Because with the Red Sox, he's probably not going to start at first base. I mean, he'll probably get a decent amount of starts at first base or DH, but he didn't really play that much the second half of the year. So he was hurt. Right. Yeah. So it was a toss-up between whether or not he would want to go somewhere with a little bit more assured playing time or if he wanted to kind of frankly get overpaid in that player option because his initial contract was based off of some higher quality of play than we've been seeing recently from Eric Hosmer. So the money standpoint makes sense for Hosmer. I don't think he's going to get that much playing time, which is why it was a bit of a toss-up for me. And he's 33, and it wasn't just a 2023 option. It was a three-year option that he was opting into. So he got some guaranteed money for you know, into his age 36 season or 35 season. Um, I think it's three years. It was like 13 mil a year. So he is off the market. We had him losing in the first round. Um, other players that opted out that were expected to opt out because they're going to hit the... Well, another big opt-in was Colton Wong. Colton Wong as well. Yeah, the yep. Brewers picked up his option, which was disappointing. I think he was a good fit for the Orioles. We mentioned it 
on the podcast on the free agency bracket. We said that if the Brewers did not pick up his option, then he might be the one seed. He might have made the most sense out of any player in that middle infield bracket, but it was kind of a talk. It seemed like fans, at least on Twitter, were surprised that the team picked up Colton Wong's option, but he's a very good player. I think just because the Brewers have a history of getting rid of contracts and avoiding paying guys when they can, uh, it was really an eight mil decision for them. It was a $10 million option, but they already had a $2 million buyout that they had to pay him. So essentially they were deciding, do they want to keep Colton Wong for $8 million? And even though he had a down year offensively last year, I think that was a worthwhile gamble for them. Trey Mancini's team option declined as well. Trey Mancini is now a free agent. Uh, Mutual, the team side of the mutual option, which, uh, you know, typically those mutual options get declined by one side or the other. The team decides in this instance that they decline. Um, Carlos Rodon, has decided to opt out. We knew this was coming. He's going to get paid a whole lot as the top free agent pitcher on the market. Jacob deGrom is opting out. I think the Mets signing Edwin Diaz to a deal over $100 million within the first couple days of free agency gives us an indication of just how much Steve Cohen and ownership is willing to spend on their own guys. So I don't think he's going to get too far, but I could be wrong. But I do think he will be out of the Orioles price range if he does decide to leave the Mets. Yeah, Xander Bogarts, another player who opted out of his potential deal, another one that the Orioles just might get priced out of, but still intriguing to have his name on the market. Yep, and then Gene Segura, the team declining their $17 million option. 17 mil was quite a lot for a 33-year-old, and the Phillies have Bryson Stott, and they have some young guys that they can fill in there, but we thought, you know, Segura might have endeared himself to the ownership and fan base, with that pennant run that the Phillies made, but instead the Phillies decide 17 mil isn't worth it. Maybe he goes back to the Phillies on a little bit of a cheaper deal, but Brendan, 33-year-old Gene Segura, played pretty well in the playoffs, second baseman, can play shortstop in a pinch, seems to fit what the Orioles might be looking for. Yeah, good contact hitter, mean Gene hit machine. I think this is probably an indication that the Phillies are looking more towards one of the bigger names in the free agency market, whether that's Sander Bogarts, Trey Turner, somebody who can play second base or shortstop. I think if you're declining this $17 million option for Gene Sakura, it's probably an indication that you're going to go after a higher quality player. And I think $17 million was a bit of an overpay yeah. for Segura. I know he endeared himself to the fan base, had a good playoff run, but that doesn't really justify paying him $17 million. If you can get him for less than that. That's a good option for the O's. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. One guy who declined his $7.5 million player option, who might be intriguing, Jerks and Profar. Can play a lot of different positions. He's going into his age 30 season. Last year, he hit 243 with 15 homers. 3.1 war in 152 games for San Diego. Might be another fit. He would have to cost, of course, probably more than $7.5 million. But would the Orioles want this better than a super, super, super utility kind of player to be inserted into their lineup. Yeah, Profar played exclusively left field last year for the Padres, and you could probably make the argument that, hey, sticking him at one position has allowed him to grow at that position, and maybe the Orioles want to keep him in the outfield, but he does have the ability to play a bunch of different positions, and even if the Orioles don't want to move him around, I think that versatility only adds to his value. Yeah, he can play second base, shortstop, third base, first base, center field. But as you mentioned, was used primarily in left field this past year. And though he did have a very good season this past year, you do wonder 
why it took so long for him to kind of break out. Because prior to that, in this first eight seasons combined, he had about three war, according to baseball reference. And then last year he had three war. So is that a sign of things to come? Or is it just an anomaly and it's it's going to continue to go down? If he were to cost around $7.5 million, though, for one or two years, average annual value of seven point five or $8 million, I would certainly be intrigued if I were Michael Elias. Yeah, absolutely. I think another player that kind of fits that mold as well is Joey Wendell. Yeah. Somebody who made it to, I believe, our final four. He did. In the free agency bracket. He is more of a utility player than Jurix and Profar, where if you signed Profar, there'd probably be a question about whether or not you wanted him to play all across the diamond. That would undoubtedly be Joey Wendell's role in Baltimore if the Orioles were to sign him. Can play second base, shortstop, third base, doesn't have the outfield capability as much. You could probably stick him in a quarter outfield if you wanted to, but I think the infield versatility for Joey Wendell would be really intriguing. And the Marlins declined their team option for him. Yeah. So he's hitting the three. And it wasn't an incredibly expensive right. team option. So kind of surprising that the Marlins didn't bring him back. It's kind of surprising that the Brewers decide to pick up that option on Colton Wong and then the Marlins decided because those are two pretty good players and just showing differing opinions about where those guys stand but Wendell is the type of player where yes he is a utility player but it's like the Chris Taylor argument from a few seasons ago when Chris Taylor was an all-star you can play him in a bunch of different spots but you're probably going to play him close to every day just depending on where you need him or Marvin Gonzalez of a few years ago when he hit the free agent market in like 2018 2019 but I think the case against Wendell is probably questioning whether he's a little bit redundant with Hermonarius yeah Um, the Orioles have until tomorrow Thursday to decide whether they want to pick up the team option on Jordan Lyles contract. We have a whole podcast about that. We did a couple weeks ago, so I'll go back and listen to that. We're not going to get too far into it, but it's funny. I think on that podcast, I gave it 55-45 that the Orioles would pick up Jordan Lyles option, and then I tweeted out at Paul Mancano. There's a subtle plug for my Twitter. wasn't subtle. Not at all. A fan poll of whether the Orioles fans think that the Orioles will pick up Jordan Lyles option, and it was like 58-42. to 42. So people are split. And I think the Orioles are going to go down to the wire with this thing like they did a couple years ago with Jose Iglesias' team option because they're going to take all the time afforded to them to make their decision on Jordan Lyles. Is is he worth $11 million for one year? It's close. I still think it's a toss-up. Yeah. After our podcast a few weeks ago, I didn't really have a strong opinion then on whether or not the Orioles would pick up the option i don't think i still have a strong opinion on whether or not they will i think maybe i've leaned slightly the other way i think i'm now 55 45 they will not but Mm. again it's very close i made the argument that they shouldn't but that doesn't necessarily mean that i don't think they will so part of the reason i switch my change my mind here on this brendan is because we saw an interview yesterday with uh, gm michael elias and john morosi where he once again reaffirmed his belief that the Orioles will be fairly large players in free agency, that they will attack free agency in ways that they haven't attacked it in previous winters. Yeah, he said this was not going to be like any offseason that he had had with the Orioles in their previous rebuilding offseasons. The term he used was very active in the offseason. He wanted to... Be active in acquiring major league talent. Wants to supplement the current core that they have at the major league level. It could be a very exciting offseason. And to that Jordan Lyles point, if Michael Elias is going to be attacking this free agent market, which it 
seems like he might be given his quotes here, then Jordan Lyles is kind of a safe play. And maybe Michael Elias doesn't want to play it as safe as he has been. Well, you mentioned the Gene Segura, the Phillies declining that option because maybe they want to be bigger players for the Trey Turners or Xander Bogarts of the world. Could the Orioles decline Jordan Lyles' option because they want to be major players in the Chris Bassett and second-tier level of free agent, of free agent starting pitcher market? Yeah, Chris Bassett, another one, declined his player option. He's a free agent. Intriguing. All very intriguing. Also, some interesting comments from Michael Elias about Grayson Rodriguez in that interview, essentially stating what we, the sense that we got from Michael Elias at the end of last year, which was going into next season, Grayson Rodriguez should be fully healthy, should be ready to potentially make this opening day roster. Yeah, I think that's more or less the expectation. Because if Grayson Rodriguez is healthy, he doesn't really have anything left to prove in AAA Norfolk. No. And I think he is pretty clearly one of the more talented pitchers on this roster at this point that you could possibly put in an opening day rotation. So I think that should be the expectation. And one more interesting nugget, Anthony Santander. Very interesting nugget. Michael Elias saying he really doesn't see any strategy in trading Santander. And frankly, neither do we at this point. Yeah. Santander is under contract for two more seasons. He proved last year what he can do when he is fully healthy. He made necessary improvements in terms of plate discipline. He was one of the best power hitters in the Orioles lineup. And in a year where we saw a dip in production from Cedric Mullins, which we expected and nothing to be concerned about. Still a great season. Still a good season from Cedric Mullins. We saw a major dip in production in the second half from Austin Hayes. Santander is a pretty sure thing, whether he's in the corner outfield or DHing for this team as a steady contributor offensively. And I think the question becomes... Where are you going to find the type of production that Anthony Santander is giving you? Especially at his price point. Yeah, there was a very optimistic argument at points last season that Kyle Stowers could come in and give you very similar production to what Anthony Santander was giving you. I don't think Kyle Stowers is ready to give you 30-plus home runs (laughs) at this point. And Anthony Santander is not very expensive. At the same token, that means he is very valuable to other teams if he's able to produce the same kind of season that we saw last year hit 30 plus home runs with improved plate discipline like you said Elias of course did say that they have to do their jobs they have to do due diligence they're going to be taking phone calls if there are phone calls on Anthony Santander but I don't think there's any strategy in actively shopping him like Elias said and he said that Santander has been a very popular player among other teams the last couple of years, which for good reason, for good reason is believable. And I think the Orioles prior to this season would have been much more willing to trade Santander. But Anthony proved if he can't become a major piece of this team for five years, at least he can be a productive player for the next two years during which they intend to compete in a very difficult American League East. If a Colton Kowser or some other outfield prospect comes up over the next few seasons and lights the world on fire and takes Anthony Santander's job, so be it. Yeah. But at this point, as you are trying to build a playoff caliber roster, there's no point in trading somebody who's going to be in the middle of your lineup as a switch hitter, protecting Adley Rutschman with 30 plus homers. Yeah. There's just no point. You're at the point in this rebuild, this team building process too, Brandon, where I think it's not as clear a dichotomy of is this guy a piece for the future or is he not? You know, and that for the first several years of the rebuild was the key question with every player that came in through the doors was, is this guy for the future or is he not? And the guys that were not players for the future, the Orioles 
for the most part, either designated for assignment or they dealt away. I mean, Cole Sulcer and Tanner Scott, the Orioles made their decision. This guy is not going to be a piece for the future. We are going to trade both those guys. Trade ended up working out pretty well. Uh, Jose Iglesias, same thing. We're able to trade him. But now we're in a portion of team building where I think the Orioles, because they're competing right now, they're not always thinking about 2024 with every player. They're not thinking two, three years down the line with every single player that comes in through the doors. They're thinking more of, is this guy going to be a contributor in 2023? Is he going to help us be able to stay afloat in the playoff race from start to finish? Yeah, Anthony Santander might not be a key piece on this team in 2025 or 2026, but if he can help you make a playoff push in 2023, then he should be here. Exactly. All right. Shall we talk about one guy who is a major piece of the future sure. for the Baltimore Orioles? Adley Rutschman. Named a finalist for the American League Rookie of the Year Award, along with Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners, Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians. I think we know that Julio Rodriguez is the favorite going into the final week. The votes have already been cast. We just don't know who has won yet. But we're going to compare the three candidates and Give We didn't have a vote in this, but give who our votes would go to. Um, let's start with Adley and the kind of season that he had. Well, first and foremost, I think it's entirely possible that this is a much closer race had Adley Rutschman not yes. been injured last offseason and was able to start on the opening day roster, which it seems like was the Orioles' plan. Oh, absolutely. That Adley Rutschman was going to be their opening day catcher. So if that was the case, then Adley Rutschman is still mounting more war he probably breaks out of that you know first month or so rookie slump a little bit earlier on in the season and we're seeing him be the productive catcher that he turned into much earlier on and he's able to accumulate some better counting stats which are a lot of the areas in which Julio Rodriguez has him beat but Adley Rutschman finishes the year with an OPS over 813 homers 35 doubles a 5.2 baseball reference war One of the best seasons we've seen from a rookie catcher ever. I mean, he was fantastic offensively, already became one of the best offensive catchers in the league, and he's also one of the better defensive catchers in the league. He might just be a top five catcher in all of baseball, period. It's crazy to think back to the first several weeks of Adley Rutschman's big league career and just how much he was struggling because his first extra base hit didn't come until several weeks into his big league career, right? And then from there, he took off, became a doubles machine, was a steady presence behind the plate. I think there's still some room for improvement there, but his baseline is clearly very good. He had 18 defensive runs saved, according to Fangraphs. So already he's one of the more elite defensive catchers in all of baseball, in addition to providing that offense with some much-needed pop and at least doubles power. I mean, 13 homers is not crazy in 113 games, but he clearly has doubles pop. He is going to be able to run the bases better than most catchers, I think you could say. He's not a JT Real Muto. He's not a base-stealing threat, but he runs the bases pretty well. He checked every box in his 113 games for the Orioles. We had high expectations for him when he came up. Frankly, he exceeded my expectations for how good he was. Yeah, mine as well. And I know he's 24, so he's not like he's, you know, a Gunnar Henderson, a 21-year-old rookie. But he was still a rookie. It's still a jump to go from AAA to Baltimore, and he was clearly ready for it. Yeah, and even with only 13 homers, if he goes a full season and hits 
18 homers and 40 doubles. I don't think anybody's going to be complaining no. about the 18 home runs. Just some percentile rankings that jumped out at me as being really impressive. He was in the 96th percentile in baseball in walk percentage, the 88th percentile in whiff rate, 82nd percentile in chase rate. And that just tells you how good his plate approach is already. And that's only going to get better as he continues in his career. Adley Rutschman, had he been healthy, I think would have had a legitimate chance to unseat Julio Rodriguez as the favorite. However, we should give a moment to discuss how good Julio Rodriguez was. Absurdly good. He was insane for the Seattle Mariners. And there's a reason that they decided to give him a massive contract extension. One of the strangest extensions I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I think they, it, it probably takes several degrees to be able to parse that out. But still, they committed to him in some way, shape, or form for the long term. In his age 21 season for Seattle, Julio Rodriguez was an all-star. He hit 284. He had an 853 OPS. He had 6.0 baseball reference war in 132 games, playing a very good defensive center field. He was awesome. Yeah, 28 homers, 25 doubles, and 25 stolen bases for yeah. Julio Rodriguez. He also did miss some time. Didn't miss as much time as Adley Rutschman did, but he missed some time towards the back half of the season. Yeah. He was 90th percentile or better, Paul, in the following categories. Average exit velocity, <laughs> max exit velocity, hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, sprint speed, outs above average, and arm strength. 90th percentile or better in all of those categories. Insane. Absurdly good. He came into the season either number one or number two in the prospect rankings. Remember, there was some controversy because Adley had gotten bumped to number two, according to some outlets, to start the year. These two guys, I mean, talk about hitting on, you know, scouts, hitting on their reports on these guys. These two guys were everything that they were expected to be and more. I don't think anybody, I think the expectation for the these guys' careers was certainly high, but I don't think a lot of people expected them to be this good as rookies. Well, and it's interesting, too, when we, if we were to go back and look at some of the American League rookies that we talked about at the beginning of the season, the kind of core four was Bobby Witt Jr., yeah. Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson. Yep. Two of those guys in Adley and J-Rod are the finalists, two of the three finalists for AL Rookie of the Year. Bobby Witt Jr. and Spencer Torkelson. Bobby Witt Jr.'s season was okay. Spencer Torkelson's season was bad. So... Kind of funny to see that two of those guys really broke away and the other two kind of lagging behind. Torkelson was drafted a year after Adley, so there's still some time for him. He was a college bat, though, when he was taken. And Bobby Witt Jr. is still young because he was a high school bat when he was taken number two right. overall behind Adley Rutschman in 2019. I, I do think Witt has the tools, but he clearly needs a little bit more polish to his game. Whereas Adley is a finished product. I mean, he already is the pearl inside the oyster. He is completely smoothed over. He is going into next season as maybe the best American League catcher. Yeah, well, you mentioned those MLB pipeline rankings before the season. It was Bobby Witt Jr. who yeah. was number one. And then behind him was Adley Rutschman and so Julio, Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez, I believe, was bumped down to number three or number four in those rankings. Adley Rutschman was number two. Bobby Witt That's Jr. Right. was number one. But they were all clustered near the yes. top. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see if Jackson Holiday can work his way up there eventually. But 
coming out of high school, it's going to take him a little bit more time as well. Yeah. Stephen Kwan, the other finalist, was not up there. Yeah. He kind of came out of nowhere and became a really, really good player for the Guardians. I mean, if you watched the Guardians in the playoffs, you knew how valuable Stephen Kwan was because the dude just doesn't get out. And if he does get out, it's contact somewhere. He's putting the ball in play. He was literally in the 100th percentile <laughs> in strikeout rate and whiff rate. He was the one. Literally 100th. Wow. That being said, he was also first percentile in barrel rate and <laughs> really? hard hit percentage. He first, doesn't He doesn't hit the ball hard, no. but he hits the ball. But it's just crazy to think that he is that bad. I mean, yeah. if he were bottom eighth percentile, that would make sense. No, he but. is 100th percentile <laughs> in strikeout rate and whiff rate. Yeah. First percentile in barrel percentage and hard hit rate. I'm amazed that he was able to hit six homers, frankly. Yeah. I mean, considering he, how little he barrels up the baseball. He got in a time machine and decided to start playing baseball in 2022 from when he started playing baseball, which was apparently in the 1950s. Well, we made fun when we were watching the postseason of broadcasters saying, that's Cleveland Guardians baseball. Anytime something, somebody got a single up the middle. And or, the Guardians Twitter account. I mean, yeah, they played into it. Don't or, get me started on that. Or they went first to third. But he was a very productive player around the margins. He was a very good base runner, played very good defense. And while he wasn't flashing the kind of pop that Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman did, and while he didn't come into this season with really any kind of name brand appeal, he did have a very good season and is a going to be a productive player, I think, going forward. He's 24 years old, so again, Adley's age, so he's much more of, you would expect, much more of a polished hitter. But he is... He is, like Adley, a finished product. I mean, he is very clearly ready for the bigs. Well, both Oregon State guys. 772 OPS, 25 doubles for Stephen Kwan, had a five and a half baseball reference war, actually beating out Adley Rutschman in that category because he was also a great defensive outfielder in left field. So Stephen Kwan just bringing a lot of good things to the Guardians. He is your prototypical leadoff hitter, very literally your prototypical leadoff hitter as teams around the league are turning to guys with more power at that leadoff spot, like Kyle Schwarber, yeah. Stephen Kwan is not that. He's not going to strike out. He's going to see a lot of pitches. He's going to get on base at a really good rate. And he's as you a said, very good player. For for Cleveland, I mean, if you watch the, the postseason, you saw how valuable that was. You couldn't get him out. I, I, yeah. He, he would, every single time I turned on the game or looked back, he was standing on first base. It was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, that is still a valuable player. However, where does he rank among these three, Brendan? And if you had to cast your vote for Rookie of the Year, and if you were to give your rankings of one, two, three, how would you rank Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, Stephen Kwan? I think it's pretty obvious, at least in my mind. I think Julio Rodriguez is the pretty clear winner. Yep. I think Adley Rutschman is the pretty clear number two. I think Quan has a case to be the number two, given the fact that he has a higher war and put up good counting stats. But I played think, more games. Yeah, played more games. But Adley Rutschman's value, I know Stephen Quan was one of the better players on a team that won their division, made the playoffs, which goes to benefit Julio Rodriguez as well. But the Orioles turned around when Adley Rutschman got up. Adley Rutschman has the name appeal as well. And if you just want to look at the positional value, Stephen Kwan is not one of the best outfielders in baseball. No. He's a very good outfielder, but I wouldn't rank him in the top five, top ten. You can make a legitimate case that Adley Rutschman is one of the five best catchers in Major League Baseball. Absolutely. And while that speaks more to probably just the quality of the position around the league, 
it also speaks to how valuable it is to have a very good catcher. Yeah. Chadley Rutschman is absolutely and like I mentioned I think he goes into next year as maybe the best American League catcher I mean I don't think there are going to be too many guys as long as Adley stays healthy there are going to be too many guys that are going to be better than him that could beat him out for an all-star game spot yeah I mean you're all-star catchers this year in the American League I mean you had Jose Trevino yeah I mean Alejandro Kirk I think Alejandro Kirk was the other so I mean it's Trevino Kirk Sean Murphy, yeah. if Christian Vasquez stays in the American League, or if somebody signs in free agency with an American League team, if Wilson Contreras comes to the AL, maybe. But you could make a case for Adley Rutschman over all of those guys. So I think on future podcasts, we will have a discussion as to when is the correct time to make an extension offer to Adley Rutschman, similar to how Julio Rodriguez got his extension this past during the season. But if you're looking at these two guys, Adley and Julio, at the top, and you would just pick one guy... Oh, don't make me do this. <laughs> ...for the next 10 years, the tough part is Julio is three years younger. I know he, he's not a catcher, but he's still up the middle. He still plays center field. Yeah. Would you take Julio? It's really close. It's close. I mean, are we looking at it in a vacuum, or are we looking at it in terms of the Baltimore Orioles? That's, like, if I had yeah. to put one... Well, for the Orioles, I think it's clear they have Mullins, they have Colton Cowser. Yeah, Kowser. you have outfield depth. Yeah. And you have Colton Cowser and Cedric Mullins who could be your center fielders of the future. Yeah. You don't really have any other catchers of no, the future no. unless you're looking real future at Samuel Basayo. They, they put all their eggs in the Adley basket. Rightfully so. Yeah. So if I'm the Orioles, then I take Adley Rutschman. If I'm the Seattle Mariners, I probably take J-Rod because, I mean, they have Cal Raleigh. He's a good catcher. You're probably fine with him over the next few years. In a vacuum, it's a toss-up. Yeah. Because I think Julio Rodriguez is younger and is probably the more impactful player offensively. Adley Rutschman is better defensively and holds more positional value given kind of how bad the catchers around baseball are right now. And, yeah. That's a complete toss-up. And I think we we weren't obviously covering the Mariners nearly as close as other people, so we don't know exactly the kind of impact that he had in that clubhouse. We know... Adley Rutschman got rave reviews from his teammates. He was a leader on the field. He was a leader in the community. He has been Captain America as he was billed coming out of Oregon State. He has checked every box off the field as well, in addition to being a good guy in the clubhouse. From everything I've heard, Julio Rodriguez brings similar characteristics. And being in that stadium for the Orioles-Mariners series in Seattle, I mean, you can feel the energy around Julio Rodriguez. There is a section of the outfield dedicated to him. Yeah. And I mean, he's an electric player. He like, is. he hits a home run, the bat flips are crazy. Like, the fans adore Julio Rodriguez for good reason. I think he has a very similar impact for turning around baseball in Seattle as Adley Rutschman does for turning around this team in Baltimore. And two franchises that frankly, over the last several years, haven't had a whole lot of winning. I mean, the Mariners made the playoffs for the first time since 2001. So yep. their, their drought extended a whole lot longer than the Orioles. But two franchises that I think had been waiting for somebody of this caliber to lift their team up and to rally around. But this was, wasn't just a year about Adley Rutschman and Julio Rodriguez and Stephen Kwan. There were several impact rookies who came up and were outstanding. And frankly made a name for themselves in a time when I think there wasn't necessarily a, a power vacuum in baseball, 
But as some of the game's better older players are starting to turn and retire, and we're seeing Albert Pujols retire, we're seeing Yadier Molina retire, we're seeing a lot of the game's older players kind of walk away from the game. I think this is a good time to have a rookie class as strong as the one that we saw in Major League Baseball this year. Yeah, it's a new wave. I mean, Adley Rutschman and Julio Rodriguez, you can debate all you want about which one you'd rather have for 10 years. It's reminiscent of the debate of would you rather have Mike Trout or Bryce Harper for the next 10 years when both of those guys were making a very early impact in their careers. It's fun. It's great for baseball to have so many talented rookies in the game right now. There's one in the Orioles division who I think could have been a finalist for rookie of the year. George Kirby was great. He had a 3.39 ERA, another top prospect coming into the season. He was the 33rd ranked prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, coming into this season. And in 25 starts, I mean, an 8-5 and five record, he was outstanding. Yeah, his stuff is nasty, but that really wasn't what impressed me about Kirby. The command yeah. was absurdly good. I mean, 133 strikeouts and 22 walks on the season in 25 games. And you could see how much trust Scott Service had in him Pretty much immediately. He tossed a gem. I know that rookie of the year voting doesn't take into account playoff performance, but George Kirby tossed a gem against the Houston Astros (laughs) as a rookie in the playoffs. Seven innings, no earned. Doesn't count towards voting, but that is really impressive for a pitcher of his age. And you mentioned the Houston Astros. They have Jeremy Pena, postseason hero. He's insanely good. I mean, he is the first... I believe, rookie shortstop to win a gold glove, 24 years old. Well, he hasn't... Well, yes, he did win. He did win, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Um, 4.8 baseball reference war in 136 games. Postseason hero as well. Absolutely dominant season from Jeremy Pena, who quickly established himself as one of the better young shortstops in all of baseball. Yeah, ALCS and World Series MVP replacing Carlos Correa. Good resume. Yeah. Wins a gold glove. Carlos Correa is an absurdly good fielder. And Jeremy Pena just goes, okay, yeah, I'll do that too. It has me thinking about Gunnar Henderson and where Gunnar Henderson will fit into this conversation as well next year. I've had this debate with former Mass and legend Tim Leonard of three shortstops if you had to pick. Which one would you rather have? Jeremy Pena, Bobby Witt Jr., Gunnar Henderson. Another impossible question. <sighs> All three, and I'd play him at second, short, and third. Uh, That one's very difficult. I think, to me, Bobby Witt Jr. put up a lot of good counting stats this year, but reminds me a little bit of, this is going to be a strange comparison to make, but almost Bryce Harper, when he first came up, where he was putting up a lot of counting stats and he was flashing all five tools, but he wasn't really a great impact player yet. And I think that was Bobby Witt. So I think that he will be an impact player at some point, but it does take a little bit of polish to his game to make him a little bit more disciplined at the plate and to make him a little bit of a more winning baseball player, I guess you could say. Yeah, had an on-base percentage under 300 this year, I believe. Yeah. So, again, you saw the tools from Bobby Wood Jr. He's just raw. Yeah. Whereas whereas Pena is polished. And amazingly, Gunnar Henderson, for his age, was a little bit more polished. Yeah. But I think once we get a full season of big league exposure for Gunnar Henderson, that's when we'll kind of see exactly what kind of player he is. Because we saw little flashes in the minor leagues, but we really haven't seen that much of this guy. I mean, remember, he was drafted in 2019. He didn't really be, and then he had 2020 
you had the pandemic season. So we've really only had two seasons of minor league and then a little bit of major league uh, information to gather about Gunnar Henderson. So Gunnar Henderson, to me, I think is going to be a great player. He clearly was the number one prospect in all of baseball for a reason. But how polished is he? Is he going to have any kind of sophomore slump that you might expect from somebody who's 21, 22 years old? Yeah, Gunnar Henderson, not really a part of this rookie of the year discussion. He didn't play enough games to be part of this conversation. I think next year there is a very strong possibility that he wins rookie of the year. Yeah, so he still will be a rookie next year. He still is considered a prospect according to the MLB pipeline, so he hasn't graduated yet. But if he has the kind of season that we expect from him, I mean, he very well could be. Yeah. I also do wonder where the, and this is probably a question we can ask once we get closer to opening day and we see what the Orioles do in free agency, but where is he going to play next year? Is he going to play the vast majority of his games at shortstop or third base? He's going to find a home at some point, or is he going to split time between those two positions? So how valuable is he going to be in, in terms of infield defense as well? Yeah, but that's for the Gunnar Henderson podcast that, that we will inevitably we'll have. We'll save. All right, a couple more rookies I do want to talk about. Brock Burke was great for Texas. He was a reliever, 197 ERA, uh, 2.1 baseball reference war in 52 games. Then a little guy by the name of uh, Felix Bautista. Yeah. Little, small, tiny Small guy. guy. Itty bitty. Yeah, Brock Burke. Real quickly, I know he was still a rookie. He was 25 years old. He yeah. made his debut in 2019, missed the entire 2020 and 2021 seasons with injury. I know he kept his rookie status because he didn't pitch enough in 2019 to qualify. Feels like cheating a little bit that he was 25 well, and made his debut three years ago. However, Felix Bautista, 27. Well, sure, but this was <laughs> his debut season. This uh, That is true. Felix Bautista, out of nowhere, had put up one of the better rookie seasons in the American League. 2-2-9 ERA, whip under 1, 12.1 Ks per 9, 2.6 baseball reference war in 65 games. And Brock Burke was not a closer. I mean, he pitched in the 6th and 7th, maybe 8th innings. Felix Bautista was a closer from after the time Jorge Lopez was traded onwards. And he was an 8th inning setup guy for the first half of the season. Yeah, a high leverage reliever on a good team. Yeah. So he is in a lot of high leverage situations in games that are very meaningful down the stretch. Because as you mentioned, he only became the closer in the second half of the season after Jorge Lopez was dealt. But in the second half of the season, the Orioles are playing much more meaningful games than they were in the first half. So that is only adding to the pressure that is on this rookie closer to close out really important games. Yeah. Which is really impressive. We could see Gunnar Henderson in this category and maybe as a finalist or a winner next year yeah could we see maybe jordan westbrook in this spot next year i think it's possible he could be more of a stephen kwan-esque not top prospect but just puts up solid numbers across the board plays good defense doesn't really shine in a in a particular counting stat whether that's home runs i don't think we're going to see a ton of power for jordan westbrook no especially from the right side of the plate with the wall being moved back. I think if he's in that conversation, we'd have to see a lot of playing time yeah. for Jordan Westbrook. And I don't know if he's going to get it, but Grayson Rodriguez, he could be here. Yeah, I was going to say, should Gray Rod, could the Orioles have two of the three finalists next year? I think there is a pretty good chance that they do. I mean, Gunnar Henderson will probably enter next season as the number one prospect in baseball. Yeah. 
we've already seen quality production from him at the major league level and going to assume that that production is only going to grow as we've seen Gunnar Henderson grow over the last few years. And Grayson Rodriguez is probably the best pitching prospect in baseball. Definitely. I know, <laughs> I know the injuries have bumped him down a little bit in prospect rankings, but I think if you're just looking at it from a pure talent and stuff perspective, Grayson Rodriguez has a very good case to be the best pitching prospect in baseball. And if he is on the opening day roster, as we are expecting him to be, and pitches every five days for an entire, hopefully healthy season, I see no reason why he wouldn't be a Rookie of the Year finalist. You know, it's funny. Seattle had Julio Rodriguez this year, who was a finalist. They had George Kirby, who could have been a finalist for AL Rookie of the Year. And let's not forget, Adley Rutschman was a Seattle Mariners draft pick in the 40th round coming out of high school. Of course, 40th round, wasn't offered a whole lot of money, decided to go to Oregon State. That ended up being the right decision. But it's funny to think that, in theory, Seattle could have had two of the top three had he decided to sign with them. Yeah. Um, So crazy to think about going forward, um, you know, where the Orioles could be in terms of having rookies in these finalist spots. So, Paul, I'll pose this question to you on that Grayson Rodriguez point. George Kirby's numbers this year, 8-5, and 339 ERA and 25 starts. 9.2 9.2 strikeouts per nine, one and a half walks per nine, 133 strikeouts in those 25 Could games. I do that? Yes, I could put up that kind of production. Could we see Grayson Rodriguez put up that production this year? I think Those are really good numbers. Yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. He was pitching, he said he was pitching the best he felt like he was that he'd ever pitched prior to the injury. And I think we almost forget how good he was right before that injury. I mean, he had an ERA right around two, I believe, for AAA Norfolk. He was literally on the verge of getting a call up to the bigs when that injury occurred. And it was a major bummer that we didn't see him because we were, he was going to be the next guy. We saw Adley debut in late May. And in mid-June, we thought we are going to see Grayson Rodriguez pitching to Adley Rutschman very soon. And it didn't happen. So I think that he is a lot closer to a polished finished product than maybe his stats show because he his numbers did dip at the end of the year because he was still coming back from injury and I know as you mentioned those you know he may not get quite as much credit in the prospect rankings but absolutely that uh, an ERA around 340 eight wins certainly doable I think for Grayson Rodriguez should he stay healthy next year and he's going to be what 22 next year 23 so it's not like I know he he has been young as he's gone up but It's not like he's 20. So we can expect him, I think, to be a little bit more of a polished product. Yeah, I think the 9.2 strikeouts per nine is certainly feasible for Grayrod as well. He is a very good strikeout pitcher. We've seen it throughout every level of the minor leagues that he's gone through. I think it's certainly feasible that he could put up George Kirby-esque numbers. And I think if it weren't for the fact that J-Rod, Abby, and Stephen Kwan all had frankly ridiculous rookie seasons, George Kirby would be a finalist. Absolutely. All right, Brendan, any other notes on rookies that you want to get out there? Not that I can think of. I <laughs> okay. mean, we, we went through a lot of rookies. I mean, Jose Miranda was in this conversation as well. Yep. I don't really know why he was up high in yeah. this conversation. I mean, a 268 batting average, 751 OPS is good. 15 homers, 25 doubles. Playing a war of one. Like I mean, first base, third base, DH for Minnesota. And he was a good rookie, yeah. but 
he's not close to the level of the top three guys, certainly. No. Maybe in previous years he would have been a finalist. Sure. But not in the best one of the best rookie classes ever. But Jeremy Pena wasn't even a finalist, and Jose Miranda wasn't close to the level of play that Jeremy Pena put out this year. Yeah, also I do think it's funny when a lot of people, like, for example, uh, Rob Thompson with the Phillies wasn't named a finalist for manager of the year, and people say, well, he just took his team to the World Series. Well, people voted before that. So it's people aren't taking in the voters aren't taking in postseason stats or postseason numbers into account because they're voting before this. Yeah, that's why Jeremy Pena is not winning this award. Yeah. Whereas had this had they were they to vote the day after the World Series ends, maybe he would have been a finalist. I think he's probably fine with the ALCS and World Series MVPs, MVPs <laughs> rather than the Rookie of the Year. I think he'll take that. And the Gold Glove. Yeah. He's got he's got some hardware. And again, I mean, Gunner next year will settle for, you know, World Series MVP. Right. He, he, he'll take World Series MVP if he doesn't yes. win Rookie of the Year. He'll give that to Grayson Rodriguez, <laughs> who missed out on World Series MVP yeah, because it went to Gunnar Henderson. By a slim margin. I mean, slim margin. Two great starts from, from Gunnar. Yeah, I mean, two CG shutouts Grayson. for Grayson Rodriguez. <laughs> you thought CG would get it shot. done, but I mean, Gunnar <laughs> Henderson with 15 homers in the World Series. I, yeah. That's just, and can't beat that production. Down go the Mets. The Mets? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're they're poised to bring Tough a lot of guys back. Showalter. Yeah, they're they're poised to bring a lot of guys back. I think, uh, and they had a great team last year, so we could see it happen. Uh, Vivek on YouTube pointing out something that is near and dear to our hearts, which is that Jose Miranda was also Rule Five eligible in twenty twenty. Uh, uh, don't even get me that started. hurt. So I do wonder as well as we go ta- from tangent to tangent. If uh, a lot of tangents on this podcast, yeah, we're, we're not a whole lot of direction today. I need more coffee. Yeah. Um, whether we will do last year, we were in the midst of a lockout and we really didn't have too much to talk about in terms of free agency and hot stove. This year, we have a lot more to talk about for the Orioles. So we won't be able to do the kind of rule five draft coverage that we have in previous years. But if you missed uh, the news, the rule five draft is coming a little bit earlier than it has in previous years. Previously, it was at the end of winter meetings. It would be at like 9 a.m. And everybody would go to stand in the back of the Rule 5 draft and then literally hop in an Uber and go to the airport and leave. Now it is, I believe, like 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. The final night of the winter meetings out in San Diego, which we will be there for, Brandon. Yeah, I don't know what Mike Elias is going to do in this Rule 5 draft. I mean, in past seasons, it's been pretty clear that at the top of the Rule 5 draft, Michael Elias was going to take two swings. Yeah, He was probably going to select two players, and we've seen him have success. I mean, Tyler Wells was a great success story from the Rule 5 draft. I don't know if we're going to say see the same thing this year. I mean, the 40-man roster, I thought, was kind of crowded, but then Michael Elias decided to claim 37 catchers. So, but then, who knows? It, but then sent and them now they're tri- down to two. Yeah, he sent them to AAA Norfolk, and some of them didn't accept their outright assignments. I mean, Cam Gallagher did not accept his outright assignment, correct? Right. So he hit free agency. Yep. So that could still happen. Can a, can a team that is attempting to compete next year really go into the Rule 5 draft with two open spots on their roster? I don't think so. It's I think tough. Michael Elias could probably take one player in the Rule 5 draft. I don't know if I'd take two. Here's the thing. It, the Rule 5 draft is more an Orioles thing than it is a Michael Elias thing. Yeah. Because the Orioles have made a pick in the Rule 5 draft every year since 2005. At least one pick. There was one year they took three players. It's their Jan. Jan? Is there a jam? Jam. Yeah. What am I doing? Jan? Their John? I don't know. <laughs> 
I'm struggling that was today. A weird, weird mix up things. Yeah. Uh, it is their jam, if sure. you will. There it is. So, Mike Elias may not want to take somebody per se, but the organ it's the organizational philosophy that they take somebody, and it's it's makes a lot of sense. For well, he is now the organizational philosophy. He true. This is true. Yeah. But the it is a smart way to add talent for a lot of rebuilding teams. Is it a smart investment for a team for whom 40-man roster spots are the at a premium? I mean, frankly, we'd probably have to take a look at the Rule 5 draft candidates, well, see who some prospective players are. We don't know yet. That's the right. tough part about it. And I think that that's the difficult part is every team has to make the decision by a certain date. And it's next Friday. So it really snuck up on us this year because the World Series went so late. So we will have a full preview of who the Orioles should protect from the Rule 5 draft in their own organization. But the tough part is they have to decide on their roster essentially before they know who is going to get protected and who's not going to get protected by other teams. I'm sure that they can do their intel and determine, hey, I think uh, the Yankees are going to protect this guy. I think they're going to leave this guy exposed. We'd love to take that guy with our pick. The Orioles also will not have the number one pick in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, like they, that's the Washington Nationals. Yeah, like they were projected to have, would have had last offseason. So they have to not just see who's out there, but also determine who might fall to them in the Rule 5 draft. So a lot of a lot more question marks going into these winter meetings. Yeah, last year when we did our breakdown for the Rule 5 draft that didn't happen, there were a lot of quality players on that list who could have come in and been close to everyday players. Oscar Gonzalez. On this Orioles team. Oscar Gonzalez. With Cleveland. Tough. Shaking tough fists at Scott. I think it's possible that maybe the Orioles take a shot on a pitcher who could maybe be a bullpen arm. I think that's where you can afford to have a little bit of flexibility or maybe a utility player like yeah. a Samad Taylor, who was a possibility in the Blue Jays organization a season ago. I think those type of players would make sense. I would be very surprised if the Orioles draft somebody who is exclusively pigeonholed to one position. Right. I think if you're going to take somebody, you need the versatility. And we'll get more into it with more specifics next week. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that was anything a, else. Our audio listeners are going to be so confused by the fact that there was just a blank a little, stare just for a, a long moment pause. from Ball Anything else you want to discuss here, Brandon? I think we discussed a lot. I mean, we went on so many tangents. We really did. in this podcast. Yeah. Thanks for our producer Amy Jennings for sticking with us and probably typing furiously in the back. Being confused and about what those more. lower thirds are. Yeah. Uh, at Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back next week as we get ready to see who Mike Elias and company protect from the Rule 5 draft, what additions they will make. And also, we will have an answer on Jordan Lyles. Yeah. That decision is coming tomorrow. So we will have a full breakdown of that and where that leaves the Orioles heading into free agency really beginning because we're ending the time period where options are being decided upon where teams can negotiate with their own free agents the floodgates are opening very shortly and hopefully we will see a kind of flurry of exciting activity around the league yeah we might be back before next week if there's some jordan miles breaking news maybe we'll try to come with you with another podcast we'll see absolutely for brennan mortensen i'm paul mancano thanks so much for tuning in we'll catch you next week